Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. Alongside Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer for the Roanoke Times, this is Aaron McFarling, sports columnist for the Roanoke Times. We have both seen some football. For the first time this spring, we've both seen some football. The That's spring right. game is in the books. Offense beats the defense, as we both nailed last week. Yes. 28-26. Certainly nailed the tenor of the game. Never in <laughs> doubt throughout the entire process of that game. Never in doubt that the system is rigged. Um, we will get into spring game talk. We'll talk quarterbacks a lot. Uh, that is a big storyline coming out of the spring game and heading into the fall. We'll talk about defense, running backs. Spring game attendance, that should be a lively My topic. favorite, my yeah, favorite I know you topic. Hate it, but I'm, I'm forcing us to talk about it. Uh, the future of spring games in general across the college football landscape, the new kickoff rule, the new baseball stadium at Tech, and then some of our silliness, the picking a Caskets tweet of the week will be a spring game related. We'll have a sad song debate at your request. And uh, what sports are you watching this time of year? Because it's a good time for sports, and we want to know what you're watching. We'll talk about what we're watching. We'll, we'll end it with a prediction outside of uh, the college football realm. Andy, spring game was – it was just a picture-perfect day. It, Gorgeous. It hasn't been that nice since. It was before or since, I don't think. And yeah. so it was a perfect day to go out there and, and just kind of sit in the stands and watch whatever you wanted to watch. Is watch. But I think – most eyes of people who actually cared what happened on the field were on the quarterbacks. Ryan Willis, um, the transfer from Kansas, we both said last week, or at least I did, and I, I think you'd already seen him a little bit in that practice, but I said I wanted to watch him uh, pitch it around. What was the phrase? Sling it. Sling it. He slung it, man. Uh, 10 for 15, what was it, 260 yards, something like that? Yeah, two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. Uh, your, your thoughts on, on Ryan Willis and what he showed? Uh, I thought he showed a lot more than I thought. I don't want to say that he was capable of, but we just haven't seen him right. in the two years that he's been or the year and a half that he's been here. So uh, to see him go out there and just really be confident throwing the ball, uh, you know, he doesn't seem to be afraid to try to fit it into a tight spot. Uh, that can be both a positive and a negative. Uh, certainly when you're looking at this quarterback competition, ball security is going to be a huge deal because that's, you know, there's nothing that gets on Fuente's nerves more than when you throw the ball into a spot that you shouldn't. Uh, and you give the ball away. Uh, but, yeah, he was out there, and, you know, he hit on some deep balls. Um, that was a perfectly placed pass he had with that Sean Savoy touchdown. Uh, he, he sort of stretched the defense vertically, which you haven't seen a whole lot uh, with the Hokies in the last year. Uh, certainly that's something that Jackson struggled with last year. So, you know, it, I'm not going to come out and say that all of a sudden he's, like, in the mix or right there with Josh Jackson or something like that because I don't think that's the case, but – uh, certainly it's a lot more intriguing option than I thought going into the game. Yeah, I was impressed. And I asked him after the game, I said, okay, if we put on the, the film of you, or the video of you at Kansas, I guess they don't make film anymore, but the tape. The stereotype, <laughs> the, the VHS tape, if we put that on of, Can of you at Kansas and, we, and then we watched you today, what, what would we see differently? And he said, well, physically probably not much, but – you know, now when he goes to the steps to the line, you know, he's not there's not a million things going through his mind. He can identify where the safeties are, the corners are, and make a decision uh, of where he's likely to go with the ball. And that's just something that speeds up with experience and time and practice. And he says that's really helped him out a lot um, <coughs> and may help explain why his numbers, in addition to him being very young when he was at Kansas, weren't very good at Kansas. What, 12 touchdowns, 17 picks, right? Yeah, that team was horrible. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think his exact so, quote was, I go to the line and I go, okay, free, strong, got him. Yeah. <laughs> and that was his quote, and I, I like that. It was a good approach. That's sort of the what you would imagine from the gunslinger from the Midwest. He's from Kansas, played the Big 12, and those guys just come up there looking to throw on, on every play. So he's, he's got a little bit of that mentality, I think. Uh, I think he's more athletic than you think. Looking at him, he's sort of a you know, bigger guy and you know, known for his throwing. So you go, ah, he doesn't move that well. But I think he moves pretty well. Uh, we saw him in the, the Tuesday open practice last week, and he scooted a lot better than I thought he did on this play that kind of things open up in the middle and he ran up the middle uh, for a gain. So he could be an interesting guy. I mean, again, I don't want to sit here and say that he's definitely in this competition or anything like that. But you compare it to, you know, how Hendon Hooker looked the other day. And, you know, Hendon Hooker didn't 
play a whole lot, it seemed like. I mean, the reps just weren't there for him. I don't know if that was by design or what exactly the case was, but, you know, Fuente said afterward, you know, don't don't read anything to these reps. It's like, no, I'm going to read something into these reps. I mean, Willis was out there a lot and looked pretty good, and Hooker wasn't out there a lot and didn't complete many passes. I'm going to read something into that. Well, that was the second note in my column behind Willis was – that I thought it was very odd to see Hooker get very little action. He got one series in the first half, then he got a few more in the second, but he uh, you know, was asked to hand off a bunch. He threw a, a, a pass that probably should have been a touchdown, wasn't caught. Yeah, slant to uh, Caleb Smith that yeah, he dropped. Yeah, kind of got screwed there. Uh, but you know, he only put the ball in the air four times overall. The last one was on the final play of the game, long completion on a nice catch. But was it Smith that caught the last yeah, one too? Yeah, diving catch. But I'm reading into it too, man, because you figure if he's in the mix, they're going to want to throw him out there and see what he can do. He was one of the stars last year's spring game. Um, you would think the majority of the action would be going to the two guys who were presumably competing for the backup role, which would be Hooker and Willis. I'm not surprised Willis played as much as he did, but I am surprised Hooker did. Yeah, it's a little strange. I guess that's sort of uh, why you shouldn't take too much stock in a spring game performance is, you know, last year at this time, everybody's like head and hooker. There's no way he can't start the way he played like that. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, when you look at it, a lot of it was against the second team and, uh, you know, still a long ways to go, obviously with his progression. I think maybe we shouldn't be too surprised that Willis is performing better than hooker at this point. This is still hookers, you know, calendar freshman year, technically. I mean, I know he enrolled early, but he was here, He's been here a little over a year. Uh, that's not a lot of college football to have been played, whereas Willis is going into his fourth year of college football. And I know uh, he didn't play last year and, and you know got kind of varying playing time earlier in his career at Kansas, but he's still a college guy that's been around and you've been in a college system for a while and you understand college practices. I mean, it's just there's just a lot of value that comes with being around for a while, I think. And I think that's kind of showing up between those two. You know, I feel bad for is the reporter from Greensboro came up and <laughs> wanted to write yeah. about Hooker, and he didn't have much of a sample size. Although, you know, he could still write about where where Hooker appears to be on the depth chart, and that was clearly the angle he was going with. Um, I think I think we both assume that uh, incumbent starter Josh Jackson will still be the starter at least in Week One. But I gotta say, you know, we always talk about how the backup quarterback is the most popular player on the field. Jackson, if he struggles, I think there's going to be a lot of cries for Willis, and it won't take long at all. People are already doing that. Yeah. And I don't think they should. Like I said, there are 15 spring practices. We saw one of them, essentially. And Jackson played a little bit in that game. I think he played – I'm trying to think of how many series he ran in the second half. I don't think it was a ton. Uh, I know he handed off to McLeese on that touchdown run that he had, but certainly wasn't as much work that Willis got. And quite frankly, neither of them looked very good against the first-team defense Mm -hmm. in the first half. And then they start subbing guys out. Ricky Walker doesn't play as much. And, okay, yeah, you, you don't look so hot at that point. So, you know, after the game, I thought it was interesting. You know, Fuente sort of challenged Jackson publicly there when he was at the, at the stage, and that sort of got all the attention. But then you ask some of the defensive guys about Josh Jackson this spring, and Ricky Walker says he doesn't think he's thrown a pick until, you know, the final, like practice 14 or something mm-hmm. like that all spring. Uh, Bud Foster talks about how sort of just something like in tuned he is with the defense and figuring things out and the cat and mouse game that goes with it. I mean, there's so much more that goes into quarterbacking than just like, oh, he pitched it around the field really good and, and had a lot of yards. I mean, it's it's about, you know, being careful with your passes in certain situations, uh, getting the offense into good situations when the defense is right. I mean, there's just a whole lot more that people kind of gloss over, I think, in a quarterback and what they're looking from a starter than just, oh, he, he pushed the ball down the field vertically really well. You know, I think we miss an opportunity as media. And I know I know you guys do it some, and I've done it a little, but we need to ask Bud Foster more about these offensive players because yeah. some of his best quotes are about the offense. And Although sometimes it's just like he's going to say something positive about them no matter what. True, so you wonder how true. true it is in that sense. So what you mentioned, the, the Fuente quote, what do we make of that quote? Because I, I think you and I were both surprised by it because I think we both assumed of all the things that uh, Fuente likes about 
uh, Josh Jackson the most, you know, it's the temperament, it's the preparation, it's, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders, all those things. But to say that maybe he could fall in love with the process a little bit more, I think was the quote, he could fall in love with preparation a little more. Yeah. Um, and, and of course, Jackson's standing right next to him when he says it, kind of laughs it off. But I pressed him a little bit later about it, and I said, well, what do you really think when he says that? And he says, well, you know, maybe I need to come in the office more. Or maybe I need to, you know, just some of these little things that uh, he thinks I need to do better, I need to work harder on. Uh, what, what do you make of that? I just see it as a motivational ploy. Yeah. Uh, I think Fuente saw the opportunity to do it. It was... You know, he had, he had just praised him, too. Sure, said, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I love the way he's approached everything. He's one of the most cerebral players I've ever coached. Uh, but, yeah, if you want to get your starting quarterback to sort of take that next step, doing it publicly like that is, is maybe a good tactic. I don't know if I would have done it that way, but he chose to. Uh, I don't think I'd read a ton into it and be like, oh, it's lacking on, on Jackson's part. But, you know, I think Fuente knows what the next step needs to be. And maybe that was just a little way to, to publicly prod him in that sense. Well, he has to know we're all piranhas at that point, right? Looking <clears throat> looking for anything we can read into. Because... Oh, he's yeah, he's smart enough to understand yeah. that we were going to take that and run with it at that right. point. I'm sure that's that's what a lot of fans who are anti-Jackson for some reason. There seems to be a lot of that for the Hokies fan. I don't know if it's just backup quarterback syndrome that they fall in love with the next guy or they're, they're just judging Jackson based on how the season finished last year when he was banged up, the, the competition was harder, and the team really wasn't playing that well because it was a little depleted by injuries. But, uh, you know, I, if you step back and say take like a 10,000-foot view of the, his freshman season, he played really well for redshirt freshman. I was going to say, the, uh, and I think I have the stat, right? I mean, no freshman or redshirt, redshirt freshman last year threw for more yards than he did. No, no. I freshman. think Jake from Did Georgia might have had more. I, okay, I'm I not sure about saw, yards. He had a higher. Him. He had a higher rating for sure. By the yeah, the I mean he's you know he was very young and for for much of the season he was very good. And then I think the the, the recency is is what we remember the most. And that was he didn't he, and he was free to admit that you know near the end of the season he didn't play as well as he had early on. And some of that was the competition level improving. And some of that was maybe just a little bit of a regression from his accuracy that he'd had earlier in the season. And maybe it was more just more film. You know, people had film on Jackson, and they were able to set up better uh, coverages and such against him to, to trick him into making bad throws. I just feel like we're going to go down the same road that has been happening uh, with quarterbacks at Virginia Tech lately, where when Logan Thomas was there, everybody's like, Mark Leal is the answer. And right. When Michael Brewer was there, everybody's like, Brendan Motley is the answer. And they got opportunities where they saw it. It was like, no, they're not. There's a reason why the starter is the starter. So uh, maybe Willis is a little more capable than those other two I just mentioned, but uh, I think there's still a reason why Jackson is probably going to be the starter uh, at the start of the season. Yeah, and this isn't unique to Blacksburg. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm sure – what, didn't you tell me once that Cam Newton, there were people couldn't, in Auburn wanting the backup to Cam Newton? Well, they, they, I feel like they sort of sandbagged uh, Cam Newton in his first spring game to sort of like dampen the hype because yeah. he didn't have a huge game and that Neil Cottle threw for like 250 yards and three touchdowns. Everybody's like, well, if we've got Cottle, why would we even play Cam Newton? It's like, I think they know what they're doing in this case. Where is Neil Cottle now? Is he in the NFL? He is. Uh, he is not okay. in the NFL. I'm not sure what he did. <laughs> he's a very you know studious guy and everything like that. But it's like, come on now. Like you could take one look at Cam Newton and Neil Cottle and go, it's gonna be Cam Newton, guys. Come on. Have you seen that uh, Carolina Panthers video where the guy makes the rah rah sound? No, I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, maybe we'll play that uh, on a future podcast. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, receivers. The target, most of the targets, uh, the most prominent targets probably were on the sidelines uh, because they were hurt or you know nicked up en- enough to not warrant playing time in, in a in an exhibition. What did you see out of the guys who did play? What were the promising things? What were the things that uh, maybe weren't promising? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the guys that were out. I mean, it's Eric Kuma, Damon Hazelton, C.J. Carroll, uh, Trey Turner. Henry Murphy, the five receivers were out that possibly could contribute this year. Um, the guys that were in there, I was impressed by Phil Patterson, mm-hmm. especially. I mean, he kind of came on late at the end of last season. I think he had surgery for something, hip or, or knee, something like that, early last season. Uh, started to get a bigger role about midway through the year. 
you know, I thought he, you know, five catches, a couple of them were impressive. He made that really impressive one-handed catch near the sideline. That Play was the little, game. A little Play Odell Beckham-esque yeah. with that one. He turned around the cornerback on a post, post pattern for a touchdown. I just think that he looked good. Uh, he looked good at the end of last year. I think he can continue to develop. I mean, I think at the start of last year they thought he was going to be that kind of receiver, and the injury set him back. It was sort of him and Eric Kuma were the guys who were going to take that next step on the outside. And so I think he can be a, a really good guy there. Hezekiah Grimsley's coming along in the slot. They kind of want to get him in one position and just kind of have him stay there and not move him around too much. Sean Savoy had the long touchdown catch, the 83-yarder. Uh, where he sort of outran the defense. It was a perfectly placed pass, and then he, he ran outran him to the end zone. He also had the drop on the interception on, on Jackson's pass early in the game where it kind of bounced off his hands and into the air. Like the worst place they can go is straight into the air against the Bud Foster defense because somebody's going to catch it. Uh, it. It sounds like they'd still like to him to be more consistent. I think you saw some of that at the end of last year. It's like he had a very good freshman year, but at the end of the year he sort of disappeared. Right. Uh, I don't even think he had a catch in the bowl game, so I don't really know what was going on there. Uh, I I think that's still a, a promising group, and you look at why they moved Caleb Farley to defense. I think they feel pretty good about their receiver situation in terms of depth uh, in that spot. You get Hazelton back, who everybody said is going to be an impact guy, even though we've never talked to him or never seen him play uh, to a man. It seems like everybody thinks he's going to be a, a big contributor. Uh, Kuma obviously did it last year. C.J. Carroll's a pretty good guy. I think it's a deeper group of receivers you have this year, even though you don't have that headliner like Cam Phillips. I mean, obviously he was the go-to guy, the senior, everything like that. They don't have somebody like that this year, but uh, probably feel better about the receivers you know, two through six or two through seven uh, than they did last year. Who is the guy who is most likely to be the go-to guy out of that entire group? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough kind of, to. Just a mixed bag, for some yeah. reason, I got this feeling that Hazelton could be really good, and I just it's just it's impossible to say it about him having not seen him play or seen him practice. Uh, he just looked like he had that size and that sort of uh, the way that he carried himself last year. What we saw like the one August practice that he was out there at, but uh, I don't know. I just don't think I don't think they're going to have a guy that's going to you know double the receiving total that every other receiver had, like Cam Phillips did. Well, it's kind of like the baseball discussion. Would you rather have a, a really great ace and then a bunch of really mediocre guys, or a really deep rotation? I mean, I think we've seen out of Fuente's offense, especially you know with the running backs, like he's pretty democratic with how he gets the you know people touched. Right, so right. maybe if you have a deep group that's all you know all can contribute, maybe that'll turn out to be better than having a Cam Phillips and a, a group of really young guys that you don't know much about. We'll see. That'll be interesting. Well, the defensive side of the ball dominated the first half. Led 17-0, had a safety. Was it 17 or 14? I thought it was 17. Okay, Whatever it was, shut it was a out. shutout. And that's not easy to do when, you know, <clears throat> All you need is a field goal or something, and, and the, you know the the field flips in crazy ways in that format. So, uh, excellent job by the defense early on, uh, and as you said, they kind of filtered some of those guys out uh, as the game went on. But what did you think uh, of the, of the positions you were watching the most closely? What did you think of those guys? Uh, you, you saw some of the promise there, but you also saw some of the, the reasons for concern with how young they are. I think the linebackers had their moments. They also had some times where they kind of got run over in certain situations. Uh, defensive backs, same thing. Uh, you know, making plays down the field, breaking stuff up, but then they also get burned for you know the eighty yard touchdown in certain situations. So I think that's going to happen with this defense, certainly with the makeup of it. Uh, obviously, when you have like five or six first-team guys out, the, set, the the defense is going to be depleted a little bit. But they're going to need those guys to step up and play. I mean, how many season-ending injuries did they have last year? Or, or guys that were out where they needed somebody on the defense to step up? I think Khalil Ladler is a perfect example of that. Is He was nowhere around playing time early in the year, especially when Divine Diablo was healthy. And then the end of the year, he's the guy that's starting at free safety and they're relying on to play in that game. So... Uh, it doesn't take long to get down to that second group, and that second group needs to be ready to play. And I think right now they're they're not quite there, but uh, you know, give them a summer, give them another fall camp. I think they'll be a little bit closer to, to being ready to go. How difficult is that for you to watch all of that? Because you know you're not going to have <laughs> film to go back on and look at. It's impossible, yeah. especially since we're trying to sit there keeping stats. Yeah. I mean, Virginia Tech could really help us out by keeping <laughs> stats in the game. 
uh, and they don't. So we, you know, the, we writers have to split it up among us. Uh, I'm sitting there keeping play by play and trying to keep stats of the whole thing, and everybody's keeping track of their own single thing. And it's just, you know, I didn't write down lineups for like the second team offensive line and stuff like that. Now I'm looking at, I'm like, well, <laughs> how do I figure out who was on the second team line because there's not really any film of it. So. Uh, it's annoying to have to do that. You're, you're keeping stats. You're trying to tweet the action, uh, trying to keep notes in your head for, for the postgame questions to ask and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's not like I was sitting there. I'm like, oh, I'm going to focus on the free safety on this right. play and see how he does. You just don't really have the, the you know, concentration to be able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I watched the ball, basically. <laughs> I watched like you would if you were sitting on your couch at home as a fan watching an NFL game you have no, no ties to. I was just watching the ball. And – Running backs, um, you know, uh, we saw, what, a good run by McLeese, then not a whole lot else from him. Uh, Holston. Holston looked okay running it Holston a couple times. Holston looked okay. I thought. Uh, I thought Coleman Fox looked good. And and I know. Here we go. <laughs> well, let's let you talk about those other running backs first because I know that Coleman Fox is more of a garbage time subject for you. So we'll, we'll get to that afterwards. But That's biting. That's biting right there. <laughs> Uh, McLeese had the the long touchdown run. I thought that was notable. Uh, that would have been longer than any run that a Hokie had last year. It was 49 yards. You know, that's something the running backs have been trying to work on this year is explosiveness and making guys miss and getting those, you know, turning five yard runs into 25 yard runs and longer. So the fact that he broke that off, uh, you know, outran Devin Hunter to get to the end zone. I thought it was pretty impressive. It, it was a nice sign for McLeese, who I think only had like four carries or something like that, and they went for 49 yards. He had, he had zero yards in the other three carries. So to break one out like that I think was pretty nice. I think Holston churned out some decent yardage. And and honestly, Coleman Fox, I'll give him credit. He looked pretty good in the times he was running. It was shifty, uh, made guys miss down the field, and that's sort of what this offense needs is somebody that can, can get in the open field make a tackler miss. I think part of your problem with Coleman Foss is you are required on so many of these games to post something as soon as the game ends so we have something online, and I don't think you've really seen him. Like, you, you, like you've got one eye on the game when he's been in there. That's what he's looked like all the time. I know last year that was like your times. Like, all right, this is Pimpleton moment. I'm right. gonna try to gather some some information for this. I am so focused on the game at this point. You're like, man, this Coleman Fox is really tearing stuff up too. Uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to to knock out my story because it's a, a 50 point game. Well, you know, he's, he's a Salem guy, and and Salem football in this area is almost as big as. You know, it's, it's probably like third or fourth on the list of, of things that are people are interested in. I mean, tech football is number one far and away. Then maybe you go UVA football, and then maybe UVA basketball and tech basketball, and then Salem football is right up there. But anyway, Coleman Fox, uh, I, you know how the post game goes, right? They, they, you have a microphone, and they, they call on you. And so you have to get the attention of the SIT. And I, early in that press conference with Fuente, I got I raised my hand and I got acknowledgement that I was going to be on that list. And then apparently, it just the, the, the microphone never got to me. Okay, I was never allowed to ask my Coleman Foss question. But they my, saw what you were going to ask. <laughs> my Coleman like, Foss question is, why can't he play? Like he's not. And I, I love walk on. I was a walk on. I have the utmost respect. Oh, he's not a walk-on. He's a scholarship guy. I know. I and that's what I mean. Like I love. So, so I'm prefacing this by saying, I, I, I have the utmost respect for walk-ons like Sam Rogers and stuff. He's he's a scholarship player. Like I don't understand why he's not mentioned more. He's not considered more. Uh, you know, and I, it's been this way since Frank was was coaching because you know his first year was under Frank and I would ask him occasionally about Coleman how he's doing because I think he was working with the receivers at one point. Yeah, and um, you know Frank, you know basically, but he was so young at that point. I was like, well, okay, there, he's just not worked his way in. But now every time he goes out there, it looks like something, something possible there. He had that nice catch on the screen play, you know, thirty-eight yard screen gain. Um, I don't know how his blocking is. That's something I, I couldn't tell you. But it just, he just looks like he could contribute something. Yeah, I feel like. You know, part of him was he was a legacy guy. I think his dad played for Frank, and that's right. how people kind of look at him. It's like, oh, he just got the scholarship because his dad played for Frank. Maybe there's a bit of truth to that. I, I don't think if he was local uh, and had that connection that he would have gotten a scholarship to Tech. Like, let's say if he was from D.C. area, I, I'm probably not playing for Tech right now. But I look into how he plays, and he seems to be versatile enough that he can do stuff where he's – 
uh, you know, goes out in the slot or can catch a pass. And that's sort of been something that's been lacking from this offense is, is pass catching ability from the running backs. Uh, he seems to hit the right hole a lot. He seems to be shifty in space and can make a move. And, you know, we'll question the, the level of uh, competition he's playing against because it, a lot of it does come late in the game. But, uh, yeah, I think he's probably the fourth running back on the depth chart right now. I, I think he could contribute. I think there's a way he could. It'll be interesting to see if he does, though. Because, you know, it's, it's not up to us for right. play time. It's, it's up to the coaches to see how he fits in. Uh, you know, last year when you had Trayvon McMillan there as well, you, you know, you're looking at Coleman Fox probably being fifth right. in that pecking order, possibly even sixth. Uh, this year, I think he's a little bit higher up, and I'd be curious to see what he can do. Yeah, I mean, the first couple times you see it, you're like, oh, that's a nice novelty. You know, the local guy picked up eight yards on a run. But then, you know, evidence continues to pile up that he can move in, you know, tight spaces and, and, and get extra yard. He runs pretty hard. We'll we'll, we'll see how You're never that. getting the microphone now after, <laughs> after this. When they're going to see you and you raise your hands like, this is going to be a Coleman well, Fox I, question. You know Dang Go. it. No, no, we're not giving you the mic. I almost asked Bud Foster about him, too. Because, you know, Bud's lived in this area forever. He knows how important Salem football is to this region. Um, he knows that there's a lot of people that – but I kind of felt what you felt like – what you mentioned earlier, like that he would just say glowing things about him and it, you know, okay, I can use that stuff, but how much does that really matter? Cause he's not making the decisions on who plays and who doesn't. Also, we, Bud gives such long answers that we only get him for like four questions in the right. post game. It's like, if you wasted a question on him on Coleman Fox, when there was like defensive stuff to ask about, you would have gotten the, everybody would just like, oh, come on McFarlane, like turn, click off the recorders as, as soon as you ask it. It would have been in garbage time of that interview portion. I, t- I promise you it would have been late. I would have let all of you guys get in your real defensive questions first spring game attendance i thought i included this in my here we go let's get to the let's get to the brass (laughs) tags here come on man (laughs) this is this is a funny story i think um we both i think we both view spring game attendance as sort of a pass fail right like given what we know about weather which is obviously the most important component but like in other things like you know who are the star players you want to watch and all those things either you had a good crowd or you didn't you know and i think tech had a good crowd there's no question that was a yeah. good spring game crowd but then you know late in the game here comes a tweet from the official vt football account saying well, do you have it in front of you 36 8 14 36 8 so i'm thinking well okay clearly they They've done some sort of turnstile. Yeah, if it's an exact number like that, yeah. Oh, though, they must know something. I asked a buddy of mine, did you go through a turnstile today when you went to the game? He said, no, there was no turnstile. And so I asked a a spokesman from Tech, you know, where where does this number come from? And he kind of hemmed and hawed for a bit. And then he says, "Uh, security estimate. Security estimate. And as I wrote in the column, don't play that game of jelly beans. How many jelly beans are in in a, in a jar with these people? That was oddly specific for an estimate. You are amazing at this game. Yes. Um, Second of all, like, I don't want security <laughs> estimating the crowd coming in. I want them making sure nobody's bringing anything <laughs> lethal into the game. Like, you shouldn't be putting this on the security guards. It's like, uh, I lost count. Did you see that? And meanwhile, somebody walks through with, like, Grenade. a knife. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I mean, there's a long, rich history of, of estimates being just pulled out of thin air. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me about how the old Salem days, quote unquote, they used to just be 70,000. You know, and it was like come, come, completely out of nowhere. Well, like uh, Auburn did a spring game estimate a while ago, and it was 17,016 is right. what it was. And that had special meaning because there was a 17 to 16 game that they had beaten Alabama. It was the punt Bama punt game, I believe, where they blocked two punts and returned them for touchdowns. So, you know, it was sort of a twisting, the, twisting the knife a little bit with Alabama by having that number. But, yeah, I don't see any significance in 36-8-14. I, I'm trying to think of uh, some sort of hokey score from the past, but uh, it's, it's not going to work. Yeah, it it's totally seems like that thing where that was like the, if you lose your receipt and you have to put something on your expense report, you don't yeah. put thirty six dollars, you put thirty six eighteen. So like, know? oh yeah, it was a uh, this old <laughs> this is more believable than thirty six oh oh. The top ten. This is the Kevin McGuire, Kevin on CFB on Twitter uh, had the top ten spring attendances. Florida State at sixty thousand, Clemson fifty five thousand, Florida fifty three, Oklahoma fifty two. 
Uh, Texas A&M, 48. Ohio State, 47. And Virginia Tech at 36,000. So, I mean, I, I would have uh, signed up for 30. I think 30 sounded about right. 36 sounded maybe a touch high. Yeah. Uh, Still a good crowd. I mean, what, capacity is what, 67? So, yeah. 60, 36, you're saying it's well more than half full or, or more than half full. I don't know if it was more than half full, but I, I wasn't going to pick nits with it. I'm like, you know what? Just I'll give it to him. Well, as Nappy always used to say, they're not cheek to cheek out there. That's true. It, but plus, the other side of it is like Ohio State charges to get into the game. So you think about that, and they had forty seven thousand eight hundred three, and they charged to get into the game, whereas Virginia Tech was free. Uh, you know, they didn't have vanilla ice like Florida State did. did really, you, I, I think know vanilla ice, was it vanilla ice? It, they had some sort of eighties act. I'm pretty sure it was vanilla vanilla ice that showed up to the game. So. You know, get on that, Whit Babcock. you got to right. get some sort of uh, musical act to get to this game, and, and maybe you could charge for these people to show up. Yeah, and you can get it for cheap, I'm sure. Let's talk about our spring games endangered. Is this an endangered species? And I'm going to create something of a straw man here because I saw something online about Dane Holgerson canceled the spring game because of the weather. And is he starting a trend? That was the question posed in, the, I think it was 247 Sports that had it. Um but there were, I thought the story was going to be about how they don't want to have spring games anymore. Uh, but it was kind of not really – didn't really come out and say that. But there was, there was some talk in there that, you know, we're wondering whether spring games are worthwhile anymore because we'd rather maybe just have another practice. Uh, and that – you know what? That is sort of the Al Grow mentality. You know, that was the NFL the Al Grow. UVA Spring Football Festival. Yeah, and that's – you know, I think, I think the way they do it now is actually – kind of good up there I, I like their spring festival people make fun of it all the time because it's not well attended but what did they do that's so it, different it's just it's just autographs and you know it's 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 fan friendly things there's little games for kids and stuff i mean and, you know i mean tech had all bounce, that stuff bounce houses i'm not no i'm not saying tech does it wrong i'm just saying there, there are many ways to skin a skin a spring game uh, to mix metaphors okay our spring game is going to get skinned, though. I mean, are they going to get rid of these things because uh, coaches don't want them? I think if the coaches had their way, they wouldn't have them. They'd just have another practice. Uh, I think at a certain point you have to do something for your fans, though. You have to have some sort of culmination to spring ball and get the fans excited about stuff. And, and certainly if there are no other opportunities for fans to come out and see you in the spring like Virginia Tech does, uh, you got to do something. Uh, and if you're going to do something, you have to do something game-like, I would imagine. Don't, people don't want to come out and just watch them run through you know, tire drills and stuff like that. They want to see them actually out there and actually play a little bit of a game. So, uh, yeah, it, coaches kind of get all uppity about this whole thing. It's like, oh, it's not really a practice, like a regular practice. It sort of disrupts the practice. It's like, you know, it's one out of 15. Like, for God's sake, just go out there and play a little bit with the fans. Like, I don't want to hear it from the, the coaches about how they – you know, don't get the most out of this. I, I think you saw something like that with like uh, March Mad or Midnight Madness uh, with basketballs. You know, coaches don't, don't want to do it anymore. It's like, oh, it disrupts the schedule, and you don't really get a real practice that early. It's like it's it's something fun that people like to attend. And like, is that the worst thing that you have to discard one early season practice so you can do a dunk contest in front of your fans or something like that? Like, I just don't understand why oh my gosh, practice is so critical that we have to go out there and get the most out of it. every opportunity. It's like, you can't waste one of them. Just one of them to go have a little fun. I think your quote off air was, get over yourselves, Get coaches. over yourselves. It's very Stu Gatsian. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Yes. No, I think that sums it up well. Get over yourselves, coaches. Um, I didn't want to sound but, like, uh, what is the the Trump version of <laughs> Stu Gatz? Trump Gatz. Trump Gatz. It's like, it's not Jim Mora, it's Jim Moron. <laughs> well, one of the reasons spring games would be discontinued would be the injury risk. And they, there's another rule change in college football this year to address that. Uh, players can now fair catch a kickoff inside the 25, and if they fair catch it inside the 25, they get it at the 25. Your thoughts on that rule? When they first proposed them, like, why are they doing this? And then I read a little bit more about it. It's like, you know, those really sky-high kicks have been popular now. It's like, kick it high, kick it short, the goal line, and make uh, the kickoff guy have to do something with it. And, like, if you're in that situation, you're the kickoff guy. You don't want to fair catch it because then you just give up all that field position. Uh, but you don't you don't want to fair catch it at the five-yard line either because, you, you, I mean, you're screwed at that point. 
but you don't want to uh, get under it and then have to return it because you're just going to get obliterated by somebody as soon as you start going. So uh, in terms of a- allowing a little bit more player safety by doing that and then it gets rid of that high kick and they can get the ball to 25, I think it's sort of a half measure. I mean, at a certain point, don't you feel like the kickoffs just got to go? It probably will, yeah. I mean, there's not a sport, uh, play in football that's more dangerous in terms of guys just barreling down the field full speed and running into other guys who are trying to block them. And uh, even if you do that with the, the high kick in the corner, I mean, it doesn't eliminate the guys running down the field at full speed ahead of that. I mean, it, it maybe protects the returner, but there are collisions aside from that that I think where a lot of these injuries take place. So... Um, I think at some point they're just going to get rid of the kickoff because it, it yeah. just – I think it – like I know it seems like it's such an elemental part of the game and, you know, everybody's excited for the opening kick and they kick it off. But, I mean, at this point, like 60% of them are touchbacks probably. Uh, only rarely do you ever break one like that. It seems like the, just the payoff for the kickoff is so low at this point that, uh, you know, just get rid of it and, and it's one part of the game where you can get rid of a lot of those concussions and injuries that take place. Well, it's it's still there for symbolic reasons only, you know, because we don't say start time is 1 o'clock. We say kickoff at 1 o'clock. And, and it's, that's why they just haven't, you know, erased it completely because – but strategically – do you think now with this new rule, if, if somebody can catch the ball, anybody's ever going to return the ball? Like if you catch it at the five on like a low liner, are you even going to run run that back? I mean, Oh, I, yeah. Oh, you yeah, think so? I think they okay. will because the guy who's doing the kick return is I'm taking it to the house right. every time. It's why guys will return it six yards deep from the end zone sometimes against the wishes of their coaches as they think, oh, I'm going to take this one to the house. I think that's just the mentality of those kickoff guys. Here's my prediction on how teams will try to win in the margins going forward from this. Squib kicks. Increase in squib kicks. Well, squib kick was uh, the thing that sort of was the downfall for Oklahoma in that uh, semifinal last year where they screwed up the squib kick and the Georgia guys smothered it. No time went off the clock, essentially, and then they went down and got a late field goal right before halftime that sort of turned the tide right before halftime there. I think so. There's your there's your counter to squib kicks. I think you originally pronounced it squid kick, and I think that's how it should be pronounced going forward is squid kick. You think I pronounced it squid kick? <laughs> I think so. I don't think we I did. Go we'll, we'll go to the tape. <laughs> what, what do you think? I mean, what is what are people holding on to with the kickoff? I mean, you sort of Sim- said symbolism. Symbolism, but it's but every time you see it, it's like, well, what about the onside kick? What about the surprise onside kick? And they always bring up like that one time Sean Payton did it in the Super Bowl. Like that was the greatest call ever, the boldest call ever. It's like, well, it's happened once in fifty plus years of the Super Bowl, so maybe it's not as common as you think it might be. It's people, you know, people have fallen in love with a game, <clears throat> and the game had certain components to it, and and, and some some of those components are going away, and. Uh, you know, I think people, you know, there's a lot of that whole, you know, strap on your chin strap and shut up and go play. You know, the inherent risks involved and everything like that. I mean, I don't I don't blame these leagues for for and these organizations like the NCAA for doing stuff like this. But I understand why fans are like, this is not the game I fell in love with. This is a completely different game. And so, you know, you kind of hold on to the past a little bit. I don't know. I just think. Like if if you're not if you don't get rid of the kickoff or try to make the kickoff safer, then you are just never committed to making football safer. Period. Because it's the one like statistically they've done studies on this is like that's the play where a, the majority of these injuries take place. Yeah, I mean you 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 say you'll never make football safe, and that's true. You can never make it completely safe. But I kind of equate it to NASCAR. You know, when Dale Earnhardt Senior died at Daytona. He wasn't wearing a Hans device, you know, and they didn't have safer barriers, all these things they've put in to make racing safer. We haven't had a death in NASCAR's top series since then. Um, and, I, you know, yeah, it's still very dangerous to run it 200 miles. You rode around Bristol. You know what it's like. Uh, that's dangerous, but it's safer. And that's what, I guess, football organizations are trying to do. And part of it's protecting their butts from lawsuits. What do you think of that Shiano plan that was like essentially after you score – you get a it's like a fourth and 15 situation or something like that uh if you want to go for it from your own 30 that's sort of the onside kick element uh gives you an opportunity to get the ball back because i think you need that you need that somehow is to allow the offense to be able to get the ball back because that's a big element at the end of games like oh well you can still get the onside kick Uh, i wonder fourth and 15 might be not far enough 
I think he did something with the percentages of how many of those are completed. I just think with today's game and the offenses they're capable of, and, and then I guess it does give an advantage to a team that has a better offense than a team that doesn't. Uh, if you're an option offense or something like that, and you have to face a fourth and 15, it's like, well, we're not going to get that. So uh, I don't know. I, I think I saw some other proposal that's like the other team's starting field position is based on how you scored. Which is to say, if you scored like a touchdown or something like that, they would get it at their 20, versus if you scored a field goal, they would get it at their 35 or something like that. And I, there's some interesting interesting ways to go about it, I think. I think you just answered your earlier question about why people are holding on to kickoffs because the, you know, the game's complicated enough without this weird I think it'd be interesting, though. It's it. like, I, I, guess. I think that's an interesting you know wrinkle that they could throw in is, is field position based on how you score, and it would you know, force teams to be oh it's fourth and two from the your fourth and goal from the two yard line do i want to kick a field goal and give them the ball at the uh 35 yard line coming back or do i want to go for it and try to score a touchdown and they'd only get it at the 20 or something and i thought that was interesting i, I just read i forget who proposed that the other day but I, I read it i thought it was an interesting way to go about things well after saturday spring game you swung by the new virginia tech baseball stadium i did what were your thoughts it's a stadium. Yeah. It feels really nice. I mean, the old one really kind of had a high school feel to it where, yeah, they had some chairback seats, but there's no cover. They're in, you know, the quote-unquote luxury seating or the, the you know, uh, sort of concourse area wasn't anything to write home about. Uh, the terrace area was fantastic, and they didn't change that to their credit. That's still the way it was before. But, you know, you needed something to give it a little bit more of a, a minor league feel to it than what they had. Especially, you know, I, I've been to the Virginia Stadium. And you go there, and it's like, man, this is great. Yeah. Everything about this is great. Uh, I think Virginia Tech has finally taken a huge step to, to get it a lot closer to that. I mean, it feels like a college stadium. It feels like a, a stadium that you're in now instead of just like, oh, I'm out at the game, uh, sort of out in the open. You're going to go back there this week, you think? Uh, possibly today. The weather's really nice. Take the girl take, out there? Might take the family out there. and you know, She likes baseball because we just feed her food the whole time to keep her quiet and happy. So <laughs> that's, like that, that's, that's basically what she thinks baseball is. It's like, okay, we go outside, and then you feed me food all day. So I like that. It's like that Jim Gaffigan. Oh, we're going to go there and eat, and I bet they have a snack bar there, and then we'll go eat some. <laughs> yeah, it's like just eating in different places. That's all tra- traveling is. Right? That's what baseball is. <laughs> There's nothing wrong is. with that. That's true. Well, did you tweet out some pictures of the, of the baseball stadium? I tweeted one picture, and it was well-received, yes. Very wow. well-received. Got a lot of hearts and, and retweets and things. Yeah, a, f- yeah, a, a good number, I would say. Well, you Why, know is that? Why is that, Aaron? Well, you, there was one that didn't. Which one was that, Aaron? Six million ways to die. Choose one. That's right. It's time for the Picking a Caskets Tweet of the Week. You that guys, only took two attempts, by the way, to get that up the, there. You guys will hear the failed attempts. But that kind of goes with what we what this whole thing is. It's it's an underperforming tweet. A tweet I thought would do better than it did. Uh, this one comes <laughs> from the spring game. Three days ago. Hashtag Hokies. This is uh, 4.26 p.m. on Saturday. Hashtag Hokies. What you talking about, Willis? Another long completion, that's what. This one to Salem's own Coleman Fox. It got five likes. It's probably just by people that like the Col- fact that Coleman Fox was mentioned in Coleman there. Coleman Fox. And I've, I've decided, I've figured out what my problem is with humor. There's two, there's two things. One is all my references are ancient. That is, of course, a different strokes reference. I thought number one was going to be the tweets aren't funny. And number two, <laughs> no. Well, that's, that's part of it. But... Number two is 98% of my attempts at humor are just, you know, taking something someone else has done, whether it be <clears throat> The Simpsons or It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or The Naked Gun or or Jim Gaffigan, like I just did earlier here on this podcast, and, and trying to relate it to something going on in real life, you know, whether it be a football game. And my references are just way outdated. Like I'm getting older, and this is this is a problem because back when I was 24 and I referred to The Simpsons, everybody knew what I was talking about. That's how you and I became friends. We you were working in a different paper, and we would just make Simpsons references all day and laugh and laugh and laugh. That's back when you started Bort Enterprises, the, <laughs> the coffee mug sales that just said Bort on the side of it. That's I right. have one at my house. Well, we I still s- use I- it. 
I had to get rid of the inventory about three or four months ago. Oh, that's sad. This is years after, but Jen finally had enough. She's like, these are just sitting here. I mean, I, of course, I used several. That was like 13 years after the fact, after the, the founding of Bort Industries. <laughs> yes, but uh, anyway, that was that was the tweet of the week. Um, thanks I like to- I like how your, your logic here is like, could it be that I've grown out of touch with what's common over the 20 years? <laughs> No, no, it's the children that are the problem. It's <laughs> no, I don't blame Seymour Skinner doing some self-reflection <laughs> the right children here. Children who are wrong. Yeah, no, it's, I, I'm going to have to change my approach somehow because it's you can't just draw upon Homer and and Mac and Charlie. You just can't do that in your entire life. You've got to you've got to evolve with the times. I've got to start watching some more modern shows. I know this uh, this quote unquote. Game of Thrones seems to be a, a pretty hip. I mean, you should watch that anyway. I know, I, that's I, right up your alley. I don't know what, you haven't watched that. Eight bucks a month, that. though, right, to get the HBO? I ain't got the HBO. If I had the HBO, I had to watch it. Honestly, if you signed up, you'd probably watch all 60 episodes in one month anyway. Yeah. And so you don't, should, it only cost you eight bucks, and then you could cancel it. Then I could decide whether I want to stay on just for that, I guess. Well, um, you you we you and I talked a little bit on Twitter uh, on Sunday night that we had the, uh, the sad song uh, debate. Basically, I said what would be in your sad song Hall of Fame um, because I watched Napoleon Dynamite with my kids and it was terrible. Um, I, didn't, I didn't like that movie when it came out. Yeah, so I don't know. I'd watched it before and I was like, oh, I remember liking that. And it was rated PG, so I was like, oh, the kids can see this. And it was just it was just dragged. It's really boring. My son wanted to run away in the middle of it. Uh, so we decided we're going back to Rocky Four next time. We're you know and Vegas vacation. We're not, but th- that forever. I like, I like how you put Vegas vacation in that pantheon of movies like Rocky Four. You know, super entertaining. Vegas vacation, obviously. It's like for anybody who does not a you know crippling gambling addict like yourself, I don't think Vegas vacation is among the best vacation movies. They probably put the original, the Christmas vacation up there. I don't think European vacation was as good as the other ones, but I certainly wouldn't have Vegas vacation among the top ones. I tell you what, I screened the original vacation for the kids and it, it was yeah, it was highly inappropriate. <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh, Vegas. Yeah. Vegas doesn't really have a lot of that stuff in it. It's pretty. It's pretty clean, uh, but it's so relatable to anybody who's played blackjack or or, or craps or. Well, this or is any, where your love of that movie comes yeah, from, obviously. And and I love the I love the franchise too, but you um, <coughs> what, what's in your sets on Hall of Fame? Because I got a lot of responses from that. People. I thought the best one that you got was Brick by Ben Folds 5. It's like, well, that one, I mean, that should have been the first one on everybody's list. So depressing. Yes. So depressing. I mean, the little piano starts up. The, the, the subject matter is, is terrible. And, and you know, it's, it's a song about abortion. It makes you just want to cry. But there's, you know, there's uh, a lot of people mentioned she stopped loving her. He stopped loving her today. Um, what was old, that one? Old country song. Yeah, if it's um, country, I don't know it. Yeah, and that's that's a good one. Uh, it's it's widely cited as one of the one of the greatest country songs of all time, and also sort of one of the saddest songs of all time. Here's a tweet that didn't get enough uh, recognition from you: "Is something to believe in?" By Poison, a surprisingly poignant hairband ballad. Uh, you put a poll up and said, "Yes, sixty-five percent. I'm a stupid head. Thirty-five percent. It only got one like." <laughs> I feel like more people should just like the fact that those were the two options that you they had They were there. too busy voting. They were too busy voting. <laughs> what do you think of that song? Do you, do you have any thoughts on Something to Believe in by Poison? That is a good one. It's a really good song. I, I do like that one. That's really it's good. it's incredibly like like vintage, cheesy hairband power ballad, though. I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I, I think of like Don't Close Your Eyes by like... Uh, Cinderella or Kicks or whoever did that one as, as like the, the stereotypical hair about this actually had some feeling to it. I mean, this is, this actually was something other than just lost love, which, you know, poison also had every rose has its thorn, which was a good power ballad, but that was more of the genre of the power ballad, you know, uh, we're breaking up. It's sad. And I'm going to go back to rock in here in a bit. Yeah, I, I did just some of the, the something to believe in. He does some of the things like, oh, you see the preacher on TV, but he's stealing really from your hand. stealing from your hand. It's like this is a little, 
well, little on the nose of some of this stuff here. The, the preacher, you have the preacher, you have the guy coming back from Vietnam and being depressed and and you know feeling lost, and then you have, you know, him driving down the street and seeing the rich people living just a few miles away from the poor folks. When was this song written? Uh, it was eighties. I thought it was like late eighties, probably nineteen ninety. Yeah, it's a good song. It seemed a little late for Vietnam flashbacks at that point. I guess. Brett Michaels, man. He played Harris Cherokee recently. I'm, I'm sorry I missed that show. Oh, man. That would have uh, been right so up your the, alley yeah, there. Yeah, let, let, let me try it. I'm sorry. This has been kind of rambling, but I really what I wanted to talk about was you tweeted at me that um, one of yours would be boys to men. Uh, it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Well, that was just one that I thought would fit. Yeah, I, I agree. It fits. It's a, it's a sad one. Um, but I came back at you with Into the Road is Sadder by the same band, Boys to Men. You make your case for... Well, I can't... Neither of them are too sad when you, like, watch the video or think about what boys to men were like because they all wear, like, the matching, like, jeans with sport coats and a very <laughs> colorful tie or, like, shorts with suspender. It's just, like, when you think of their aesthetic in hindsight, it really can't be too, like, sad when you're thinking about them singing. Uh, I, I just... I don't know the 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 uh, the one that I had. I just thought that's the first one I think of when I think of boys to men. So that's why I said it. Yeah, it's a good song, and it was used for a lot for for people our age. It was used for their like you know uh, graduation songs and such. Did um, people do that for graduation? Oh yeah. Wow. It's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Why wouldn't? Oh you yeah, use I that? guess that would be into the road. Same way. I mean, yeah. so we've come to the end of the road. I thought end of the road was more depressing because it sort of acknowledged a relationship <laughs> that was really good. But you just you just know it's it's done, it's done, and it's a really sad thing. You tr- but you're half celebrating it and half saying goodbye. That's deep. Thanks. I I can't put that one above the other one now because have you do you ever watch the sitcom Fresh Off the Boat? <laughs> no. It's a sitcom about an Asian family in the '90s. Okay. And uh, one of them was one of the kids had a breakup, and they were like listening to "End of the Road" over and over and over. And at the end, like the family started singing of it, and you know how they have like the the guy do like the monologue of was like, "Hey, girl, I've been thinking about you." And like they, <laughs> during the song, they had like the five year old kid start doing that part, and it was just it was very funny. So <laughs> I, I can't hear that song and not think of that scene because I thought it was pretty funny. So your yeah, your mind's been poisoned by yes, this. Yes, it has been poisoned. <laughs> okay. All right, what sports are you watching this time of year? I watched the Capitals last night, and I had a replay take, but we're we're gonna skip the replay take because it's the same take I've had every time we've done. Old man years. McFarlane shaking yeah. his fist at a cloud yeah. about replay. If you saw that uh, that Capitals game last night, you know what I'm talking about the the offsides deal. But um, I'm watching a lot of hockey. Um, I'm of course watching a lot of baseball. What are you watching? Not real uh, baseball more than anything. I, I don't really tune into the hockey playoffs. I know I probably should. I'm from Minnesota, so I, I should like hockey. I just I'm just not into hockey right now. I just haven't been in a long time. I still go back to when they moved the North Stars from Minnesota. I'm like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out on you, hockey, for a long time. I like your logo. The Wild logo is pretty cool. I yeah. bought some gear. Yeah, it's an interesting logo. It's a little Lands Endish. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I don't okay. know if I. I'd like a little. If they had the North Stars logo, I'd still be into it. They should have. That was before like teams retained the the, the team nickname when mm-hmm. they moved somewhere else. Uh, like the the North Stars moved a little too early for that, so they should be the North Stars. They should have that N with the the arrow pointing up and the star. That was that's a great logo. I still have a hat like that. But I feel like hockey was sort of ruined for me when they moved that team. So I'm, and plus you know living in Virginia, you're not really in the heart of it. A whole lot. So I, I just don't pay attention to a lot of hockey. I'll tune into an NBA playoff game, like, at the end. Like, if there's, like, four minutes left, I'll flip over and see if it's, like, should, is this a game I should watch the last four minutes? Because, you know, the first three and a half quarters I have no interest in no. in NBA basketball for some reason. I'm looking at the lines of these, you know, these first-round games, and it's, like, 10, 8.5, 10, 8.5. And it's, like, you know, do I really want to watch that? A lot of people do, man. They love seeing super teams roll over 
crappy teams that, you know, there's too many teams in the playoffs. The thing about hockey is it's such a random sport. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing it. Home with, ice means next to nothing. Yeah. So, I mean, you can be heavily favored and still still get beat. So, that there's some interest there. Although Vegas, man, Vegas Golden Knights just swept their opponent last night. They I think the Kings. I think it's interesting. The only, like, sport where I can sit down and watch a game from start to finish is probably football now. Like, even baseball, I'm in and out, and I'm flipping channels and stuff. It's just such a slow pace, and you get some of those middle innings. I'm like, well, I'll see if something else is on and come back to it. Football is really the only sport where I can sit there and watch a whole game, and even that one, I'm I'm flipping around. Maybe it speaks more to my (laughs) attention deficit that I I have to flip around like that, but uh, I don't know. Well, it's, you're you're a big Twitter guy, and that, that's that's sort of, you know, I've noticed that on road trips, you know, you're constantly checking that. You always got to be informed, and baseball is certainly a slower, uh, slower burn. I, I've found now, and this goes with my <coughs> old man McFarling motif here, but I really just enjoy listening to it on the radio. I mean, you know, you on your on your iPhone, you know, just having you know cooking up some burgers and having the the, the ball game on the radio because it's just background noise and you don't you, you the, the announcer will tell you when you got to pay attention you know the rest of it is just ball outside strike ball outside you can fish you can hunt you can well, i guess you couldn't hunt very effectively listening to a game <laughs> hey dear i'm right here you can tell i'm not a hunter can i make a confession i don't like listening to sports on the radio not even baseball no Wow. Don't do it. I know I should. And you've got Corey Provis, the former I, tech I know I guy, should. doing your Twins game. I now. should be like, you know, wax poetic about the good old days and listen to sports on the radio. I just never been a sports radio guy for for like live games. I just I don't know. I like to watch them. I don't like to sit there and listen to somebody explain the action to me. Well, there's there's a lot of bad. This is my deep dark secret there's, here. You've got a good one in Minnesota and Corey Provis, but there's a lot of bad baseball announcers that I'll avoid. Um, the Reds are terrible. I know they're legendary, but I just can't listen to. But last night I got off from from covering the Salem Red Sox, and I listened to that no hit bid by um, the Arizona pitcher. But I tuned into John Miller on the on the Giants feed because he's just so so great. I mean, if you if you can create a connection with some of, and I miss listening to Scully on some of those games coming back because he he was a treasure to to tune into. But if John Miller's on when I'm getting off work, I'm in. And and you know you don't have to pay that close of attention. So. Yeah, that's just not my thing. I don't know. Never has been. Okay. Well, we like to end this thing with a the prediction. Uh, the Caps are down 2-1 to one after their double overtime victory in, in Columbus last night. I know there's a lot of overlap between Hokie fans and Caps fans. <coughs> um, so we'll just throw that out there. What do you think? Uh, are the Caps going to rally and take this series? Given their history, I'm going to say no. Okay. Uh this is I don't really have any insight into the two teams. Like, oh, they're going to do this on the power play or something. Like, no, I, I have no idea. I'm just, yeah, you just said you haven't watched. I just like get, I get to the postseason. It's like, well, this is the point where the Capitals fall on their face because they do it all the time. Now, maybe it won't happen in the first round because typically they get past the first round. Right. The first they? round's not the bugaboo. When, when are they going to face the Penguins? Is that going to be lined up I at think any that's point? Next round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe they'll get past this round then, but I have no faith that they will beat the Penguins because every year it's the same thing. And then I read on Twitter all these people, oh, my gosh, I, why do I invest all this time in this team? For once in my life, I just want to <laughs> see that once before I die. They're acting like these grizzled Red Sox fans that were waiting 80 years for the World Series. It's like, first of all, it's the Capitals. I mean, you can't be that invested in the Caps. It's, it's not like there's like, oh, I've been a fan since 1950 of the Capitals. Like that just, that just doesn't exist. Uh, and second of all, I, come on now. Like, is this really driving your life? That it's, it's life or death. These <laughs> My games? father was a Capitals fan, and his father. Yeah, too. I just I don't and his get, father before him. <laughs> I don't get that sense. I, I feel like it's a lot of uh, Johnny Come Latelys on the Capitals thing that just want to sort of complain about their sports. You know, tortured them. That, that seems like a big thing well, on it's Twitter. It's like, oh, he's like, yeah. it's I, I fall into it every now and then with the Vikings, and people probably like, all right, enough. We don't want to hear about your st- stupid tortured franchise. But that seems to be the thing now. And now that some of these like long-standing ones, like the the Cubs and the Red Sox, have been knocked off. You know, they they ended those droughts. You know, Cleveland. Uh, won a title. I feel like some of these new kids on the block, that like the Capitals and DC fans, like, oh, when are we ever going to see a championship? It's like I seem to remember the Redskins winning a couple Super Bowls when I was younger. Like, I don't want to hear it about that. It's like somebody could throw that back in my face as a Minnesota fan. It's like you saw two World Series wins. Like, shut up. Right. I don't want to hear it. And yeah, I'd certainly trade your Nats' success <laughs> for my Orioles' uh, 
you know, comparable over the years, recent years. I mean, Once in my life. <laughs> How old were you when the Orioles won that World Series? Uh, 80, was it 82? It was 83, 83, and I would have been six. I don't remember any, any of it. Okay. Um, Twins won it when I was eight and then when I was 12, and I remember both of those yeah, pretty vividly. Yeah, 12 was a great baseball game. 12 was a age. great one. Uh, eight, I remember those. Uh, eight, I remember staying up to watch the games. 12, I remember, like, getting – like. Going to bed crying, like ah, oh, they they lost in the extra innings. And I like threw something, went off to bed crying. I was so like I was so invested in those teams at that time. But yeah, that that's sort of in the wheelhouse of when you're young, you want to have a team win a championship like that. Yeah, I was 12 in '89 when the you know, the Orioles were coming off their 110 loss season or whatever it was from '88 when they started 0 and 21, and then they were in it till the final weekend of the series season i remember being life or death with that team that still remains one of my favorite teams i was watching a lot of different strokes back then too as you, as you might imagine all and right no so. listener will get that <laughs> reference <laughs> what you talking about willis a long completion that's what uh, okay we'll, we'll get back together again next week talk draft yeah draft starts next uh, thursday so we can talk a little bit about that and maybe we'll open up some mailbags in the future here get some hokey related stuff yeah we could try that we get and you should you should have a few ales on sunday night and throw another <laughs> question out there for the masses uh, i feel like the sad songs really that got people going this week so we should do it again yeah thanks to all the people that chimed in with their their favorites uh sad songs and even the ones that were not really uh serious those are still funny yeah, well, I, I didn't really conduct that very well here, but if you want to go back and look at I retweeted a bunch of the, the entries that I got, so you can see that on my Twitter timeline. Uh, that'll do it for this week. Please tune in again next week. We appreciate everyone who does tune in week to week. Uh, for Andy Bitter, this is Aaron McFarling. We will see you next time.